So, uh, we are in the Sermon on the Mount. We are in chapter 6, and we've made our way to the Lord's Prayer, which is actually the center of the Sermon on the Mount and central to kingdom living. And so, it's almost perfect. We, uh, we're looking at sort of three devotional topics that Jesus brings up in an effort to describe what the kingdom heart is like, what it looks like, how it acts, and a heart that is genuine, a heart that desires to know God and connect to him personally, away from the view of others, a hidden life, uh, praise. And so prayer says a lot about your relationship with God. If you're willing to uh, develop a private spiritual life. So the three disciplines or the three activities that Jesus brings up are giving, prayer, and fasting. And prayer takes up uh, the, the most of them, and it's very understandable why. Uh, because there's so much to say about it, and it's so critical to your spiritual life. Uh, Paul Miller has a book called The Praying Life you've probably heard of by now. And it's very excellent. I... Anyway, he writes this, and I think it fits well here. He says, private personal prayer is one of the last great bastions of legalism. So you have this external life, this life where you're, you know, hoping people see what you do because you want to appear good. We're all trying to be good people and it's much better if you're good people and people know you're good and people have seen you're good. That feels better. It almost legitimizes it to some degree in, in our minds. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. There will be a lot of outward things you have to do you can't avoid if you're a kingdom person. But kingdom people don't depend on impressing other people. They have a whole hidden personal life with God that drives the outer life. So the inner life drives the outer life. And so if, so you got to fight that externalism. You got to fight the legalism, you know, of, of just living your spiritual life like duties, you know. And he says that, you know, legalism comes into your prayer life and it's sort of the last place you have to do it because in when you're in the, living the external life, you've got to impress others, so you've got to clean up and look right. Well, we carry that into our prayer life sometimes, and we march into that little private space with God, and sometimes we think we have to say the perfect words. We've got to appear perfect. We've got to act like we don't pray for things that aren't selfish, and we've got to be just this upright, real person. So it is the last bastion of legalism, you know? There's this little space that you've got to go in and meet God, and you close the door. Well, right before you open the door to go in, do you stand outside and primp up real nice and go, hope he hears me today. Okay. <coughs> that kind of thing. And then you carry that into, your, into the prayer room, and that's how your prayers sound. Jesus said, no, 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 that's not what I'm after at all. That's not the kingdom heart at all. That's not the right dynamic. Uh, and, and so... Prayer is actually the way to fight that urge you have to be 
impressive. And so that's what Jesus is teaching us. We've learned a number of things about prayer up to now. It's not a technique. It's not, a, it's not mechanical. And I'll bet you've learned something really, really important over the last two or three weeks we've been talking about this. Just showing up's hard. Isn't it? I mean, you, you, you've been worried about what to pray all your life. <laughs> you just never get there. If you never get there, it doesn't matter. Showing up's hard. Showing up says a lot about your heart. Jesus is not messing around when he says the kingdom heart will find a space. It'll find a space alone with God. And you're already sensing, you're already seeing. That alone's a struggle. This is our third week on prayer, I think, and we haven't said a word about what to say. Uh, again, because getting there is hard. But if you don't show up, the Lord's Prayer is really nothing except to be recited. It doesn't ever really guide your prayer life, which is what Jesus intended it to do. It just becomes something you recite when somebody says, stand to your feet, say the Lord's Prayer with me. And it wasn't designed to be that at all. And so uh, we sort of asked the question last week, when you do finally get in there, who do you think you're talking to? I mean, what, what do you think of this whole relationship that prayer becomes a central piece of? And we've been arguing that, you know, Jesus is the master of the universe. He runs and controls everything, but he's also our father. And this leads us right, uh, right to what we do once we come inside that little prayer space. I've sort of pictured it like this. There's this closet, Jesus says, to enter in and shut the door, and we got to cross over from this external world to do it. And you're seeing that's not easy. You've got to be convinced of a number of things. Your faith, has to, your faith has to be a certain place to get into this room. So uh, once you get in there, once you do show up, then Jesus says, well, let me tell you what to say. Let me tell you how to be in that room. And he starts with this line right here. There's three parts, really, to the Lord's Prayer won't get into too much detail of that right now. There's sort of the address at first, and then there's a, a, a grouping of prayers that you pray, well, you know, things that God wants. And then the second part of the prayers, things you need. So both of them are there, but this is the beginning. And if you think showing up was hard, this is the first thing Jesus says you have to deal with when you get there. And this takes work, too. Uh, in fact, I mean, I've been looking at the Lord's Prayer now for a number of weeks, and this first line is the most critical. If you have this line right, the rest of it will come pretty easily. But the rest of the prayer isn't even necessary if you don't approach God 
if your approach to God is not settled. And so this is the next hurdle and the next crisis of prayer is how do you see the person that you're talking to? How do you address him? So you got, the, you got showing up and then you have the approach. And so there's two sides to this. Uh, if we were going to divide these out, you have sort of, you have your father and then you have a phrase, it's probably better to translate the one who is in the heavens. Okay? And so you got two sides of this prayer. Uh, you have this father who's very loving. When you hear the word father, that's what you think. Somebody loving, somebody you're in intimate relationship with. Somebody who's deeply concerned about you, like a parent. On the other hand, you've got the one who was in the heavens. Not the one who was in heaven as if he were far away and beyond, you know, approach. He's in the heavens. He's definitely beyond and he's transcendent and he's cosmic and he's sovereign and he's beyond. So you got both these dynamics going on at the same time. And in your address, you got to recognize and bring both of those together. And one of the fundamental crises of prayer is how to bring them together. How do I take a God who's way out there, who's got bigger things to mess with than me? That's a struggle. So in prayer, these two wonders, if you will, come together. And they tell us, Jesus is telling us how God operates with us personally and intimately. And so we got to get it. We got to settle it so that we're not constantly questioning. This is important. So on the side of the Father, you've got God. God, we've already learned, God is content to show up in this little space with just you. Father is in secret. Father sees in secret. And he rewards in secret. He is more than willing to show up with you in this private little tiny space. and hear your concerns. This is an amazing thing. So the one, the one who is in the heavens, the one who's in the heavens, Jesus says, this is how I want you to pray. I want you to pray like that big God who runs the universe wants to sit in a room with you. That's how I want you to pray. And this is important. And when you put them together, let me say a couple things. Here's the first thing. God is not being identified as a father who's not really a father. Or because he's sovereign, he's incapable of being a real loving father who can provide like any father would want to do. Jesus is not presenting some charade or some fake father figure. He's calling him father because that's exactly who he is and, and what his heart is and the kind of relationship he wants with you. 
The image says, I want you to come to me. I want you to ask me. I want you to know that I care. I want you to know that I can help. And I want you to know that in every way that I can help, I will. That's the image of father. As soon as that comes out of your mouth, that's your approach. You have no questions about it when you come into that room. And then on the other hand, you've got this sovereign God who runs the universe, and you're wondering whether he's even in there. And he says, oh, yeah, I can do both. Hey, you're not going to believe this about me. I can do both of those. I can run the universe and be your father. We don't really believe that. It's, it's part of the crisis of prayer. Well, God's too big, too much going on. He's already got a plan. Can't do anything for me. That's how we believe. So our approach is all messed up. I don't know what kind of father you are, but you're not the kind I picture. Oh, you, you're, you're okay at running the universe. I have some bones to pick with you. But I know you don't have time for my concerns. But this is, the, this is what Jesus is essentially saying. No, the God of the universe has chosen to meet with you, to work with you, to work with you. See, people in the kingdom get to work with God for kingdom stuff. Which, which means there's good reason for God to meet with you. So why would God want to meet with me? Well, because through you, he, he, the kingdom gets advanced. Meetings with you make stuff happen. I grab a hold of your heart, move you in a direction... It changes everything. God's up there running the universe. Yeah. The way he runs it is through moving you. So he loves meeting with you. These are like critical meetings. You know, in your day, some meetings are really important. This is a meeting that's important to God. And so there's good reason to meet with us. And there's good reason to hear us. And there's good reason to speak to us. Because that's how the kingdom works. Jesus is trying to tell you, this is how the kingdom works. It doesn't work by you just sit on the sidelines. It's not how it works. I quoted to you. It might have been missed. A couple weeks ago, one commentator put it like this, and I just loved it. Your needs are not insignificant. They have an important role to play in the governance of the cosmos. God's running the world. A lot of how he runs it is through you. So that meeting's important. Boy, if I could just get you to see this, if I could just get you to do that, if I could just get you to stop doing that, if I could move your heart to accomplish that, Oh, that would be great. Oh, yeah, I'll take that meeting. I wonder what's on their heart today, God might say. I, I, I want to hear. I want to hear what's on their heart today. This is any good father would want that. 
So the Lord's Prayer combines both of these. I think that's probably the greatest insight so far overall that I have enjoyed about looking at the Lord's Prayer, you know, the way we are now, is, uh, is the way it combines. It starts out with these are God's concerns, and then it goes to our concerns, as if both of them matter. That my concerns matter to God because my concerns, when they mesh with his, or when he says, oh boy, those are concerns I, I need to address. I got to keep you sane and healthy so the kingdom continues to advance. I'll do that. That's how God works, and it's just a beautiful thing. So the, the personal address sets the tone, establishes the tone for the relational dynamic that creates, you know, you say, Father, you have access to your dad. There's meaning, there's connection. My boys at some point started calling me Pops. And so, uh, so I, when I hear that phrase, I know exactly who's talking to me. There's only four people. There's only four of them. It's a lot, actually. I mean, it's too many. It's actually too many. Wait a minute. Can you be quiet so I can hear you, please? Uh, but when they call me that, the, just, just by calling me that, they signal a relationship that's unique in the world. And it, without explaining it, it's just a reality we, we all live in. We just live in it. My granddaughters call me Gampa. I have only one talking at the moment, so she calls me Gampa because I want to be Grandpa because my father was Grandpa. I'm not, I'm not uh, looking for a different name. I want to be Grandpa because I called my Grandpa Grandpa. So that's why. Uh, and I want to just say something to you. What, in my life, in my lifetime, when I hear the word pops and when I hear the word gampa, I'm like butter. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I'm butter, baby. I mean, I got to think really hard about what not to give you. <laughs> I got to think really hard. Okay? Soon as Maya says gampa, all that I have is at her disposal. And I think if God is anything like me, he, he loves it when you say that because it just says, okay, then you get this. You get, what, you get this situation. You get this dynamic. And I'm going to say this to you. There's nothing in Scripture. As I'm trying to poke holes in, in, in one of our problems with prayer. There's, there's nothing to suggest that God cannot manage the universe and be your dad and care about your things and give you things you need. There's nothing I've tried to argue, as we'll do here, maybe, maybe I have a minute um, to talk. Science doesn't, the, the material world doesn't limit it, and the spiritual world doesn't limit it, and there's absolutely nothing biblically that suggests you ought to be really concerned about whether or not God cares about you when you go into that closet. None of that. You have nothing, nothing to support the argument. 
that God can't do both of these. It's just the opposite. He's pictured as wanting to be sought. He actually is fine with you being annoying. You know, think about some of the parables. One of them is about a friend who gets woken up at, you know, imagine you go across the street and wake up your neighbor in the middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning, because you just need to borrow some flour. Well, this is the parable Luke gives in talking to God. Oh, yeah, you, you messed up. You didn't plan well. Right? It's a horrible hour. You're going to aggravate people. I still want you to come. That's God. You think you're annoying? I still want you to show up. Or maybe you're like the widow. That's Luke 11. Maybe you're Luke 18, and you're like the widow who's just annoying, shows up every day. Says the same thing every day. God says, I want you to keep on coming. Because that's a father for you. Fathers will get woken up at 3 o'clock for their kids. With no problem. He's pictured as someone who can act on our behalf, who will change his mind about things. That's how the scripture presents him. Without diminishing his character or jeopardizing his plans, he's capable of doing that. He's not static or stuck. He doesn't walk into that meeting with you and go, tell me what, you want. if it ain't perfectly matched what I've already got planned, we can't do it. That's a horrible way to approach prayer, but that's how often we approach it. That is not how God approaches that's, how, that's not how you're told to approach it. There's not even one picture in Scripture that suggests that's how you ought to think about prayer. In fact, you know what? In Romans 8, God, the Spirit, is on standby every time you speak to God to explain what you can't say well. That's how interested God is in what you have to say. That even when you can't say it, the Spirit is there to, to help God understand. God's like, hey, Spirit, what's he saying? I don't even know what he's saying. The Spirit says, hey, I got this. Okay, now I get it. That's the picture. You can't say it well, so the Spirit interprets for you. That's how much God wants to hear you. So, put it in a simple point for you. God does not want us to live as if prayer does not matter. You do not get to live that way. When the thought comes into your mind, push it out. Don't you get a lot of stupid thoughts in your head that you got to push out? That's one, to push out. So let's get that settled. Um, it's a mystery. It's, it's mysterious. There's no question about it, how prayer works. You say, how does God run the universe and hear my prayers and maybe even answer them too? 
Well, goodness gracious, Hillside, I don't know the answer to that question. And we're never going to know it. And both, and a couple of authors I've been reading on prayer who I've read before, but rereading them, uh, they say, don't try to figure that out. You figure that out, you have to understand all reality in order to understand how that works. You're never going to get that. You're never going to be able to understand all reality. We can't even understand all physical reality. And one of the authors, you're, you're going to love this line. This is exactly what they said. Many things in life can't be observed directly. He's talking about prayer. And then he says, in quantum physics, and I went, ooh. <laughs> you can't observe a particle's speed and mass at the same time. And reading Michael Gillen in this other book that I'm reading, he talks about electrons. Listen, at the quantum level, things are very mysterious. They don't happen like they do in the real world. Well, God can't be here and there at the same time. Oh, yes, he can. Physical reality is that way. Electrons can spin and do counterclockwise and clockwise at the same time. You figure that out, you figured out prayer. And I'll tell you one more, even more amazing. Once you observe the electron, it stops spinning one of the directions and only spins one for you. And it might do it differently if I look at it versus you looking at it. Even in our physical world, multiple things can happen and God can handle it. But in our stiff world where chairs don't move and and concrete's hard and everything's hard and fast and this is there and that's there. We imagine that God's stuck, not stuck. So when you come to God and you realize, well, first of all, if he wants me to call him this, I must matter. I must matter if he's gonna call, if he wants me to call him dad, that's big. And uh, if, if he runs the universe, then he, then he matters. Then I, then I know he can provide. I know he's capable. Both of these things are true. Cares about me and he's capable. So then you have to ask this question. This is why the address is so important. Okay, I want you to get over that hurdle. Not going to wrestle with, not arguing with myself anymore about whether or not God can do both things. Then you have to ask this because uh, Dallas Willard calls this relationship between the Father and the heavens the uh, what he calls the configuration of reality. This is the reality. He is your Father, and He does run the universe. That's the configuration of reality within which Jesus says you're supposed to pray, you pray within that reality. And he says the overwhelming difficulties many people have with prayer, both understanding it and doing it, derive from nothing more than their failure or their inability to place themselves within that configuration and receive it by grace. So what Jesus is offering right here is saying, this is, this is, 
This is the configuration that I want you to pray in. I want you to pray like you know your father can do anything, he, anything. And he, and he even has a plan for it all. And none of it's ever changed. But he can still at the same time answer your prayers and reality doesn't shatter. And in fact, uses your concerns, your needs, and your desires to bring his plan along. He's capable of doing both of those. And so you can't, you, you can't well, that's just not how I see prayer, so I'm not going to pray. Well, you're at, a, you're at a loss for everything spiritual if it's, gonna just, if it's got to work in your head. But he's not finished. This is what he goes on to say. You've got to receive that configuration by grace. But then he also goes on to say this. Uh, this may be the reason you might not want to enter that configuration. Maybe because you actually do not want to live in that kingdom configuration. And perhaps are even in rebellion against it. I'll tell you why I don't want to go sit in this room. Because about 80% of what he talks about, I don't want to do. Well, now he just uncovered another problem, maybe the biggest. If I go to him as father, if I go to him as father, I got to trust him to give me what I want, and I got to go out and get it myself if I, if I need to. And I don't know what he's going to do. And it's just, it just reveals that you don't really have a kingdom heart. You don't want what he wants anyway. Maybe I don't want to be close to him. I prefer doing what I want to do and handling matters myself. Which, by the way, by the way, not entering that room screams. God, I got this. Don't need to talk to you about it. So you can see how you've destroyed the configuration. And I said to you last week, sometimes unbelief is the reason, you know, uh, you know we use ignorance to mask unbelief. Well, I don't really know how to pray. Really, you just don't believe anyway. But we also use ignorance as an excuse for not praying, uh, to mask rebellion. I have no intention of doing it his way anyway. And I will tell you, there's an existential crisis when you go into that room and you know, and you know I'm not in charge. I'm dependent. I got to do what I'm told. That's tough. And every once in a while, you really feel that. When we get into the Lord's Prayer, you'll really feel it. And that's why Miller writes, American culture is probably the hardest place in the world to learn to pray. When he said that, I was like, wow.
You wonder why it's so hard to show up. You wonder why it's so hard to believe God can do anything. You wonder why it's so hard. And he writes, because we can almost do all of life without God. We trust ourselves, our talents, our resources. We don't really need them. So you can see, by the time you get in this room, and, and by the time you, you recognize how you're supposed to approach God, in this configuration of him as my father and the one who runs the universe. And then am I even willing to to surrender my life to him, be dependent on him, do things his way? I mean, that's a lot. And you haven't, even, you haven't even asked for anything. You haven't prayed a thing yet. So I really just want to give you two quick applications. Because I'm not going any further in the Lord's Prayer today. It's too much and the, the approach is too important. So I want to get as practical as I can about you showing up here. And I want to say a couple things about it. I know that showing up here isn't easy. I'm a pastor, and I got to work hard to get there. It's not easy. Because you're breaking away from a lot of things to do it. And then fitting it into a busy schedule. I know how busy you are. I know how many things, I know how many people expect things of you, and I know how early you got to get up, and I know how late you got to get down, and that's the reason you don't work out either, because you can't fit it into your world. It's very difficult. I understand that. But I, but I can't say so it's okay then. I just can't say that to you. If you have to drag your behind in there with unbrushed teeth and messy hair, you get in there. Because you cannot afford to be operating in a 24-hour period Without him, you've got to learn to talk to him. As intimidating as it is. And learn, you will have to. Don't imagine you're going to pop in there like you pop into your best friend's kitchen. It takes a little time. So you enter that room. Get in there. I've told you, I don't care if it's three minutes. Just get the practice of getting there. And then you say, well, what do I do now? I mean, what do I do? What do I do? Well, here's just a couple thoughts for you, just simple thoughts. 
Because I know you're trying to figure that out. Well, when I walk in there, when I get into that spot, there's a number of different ways I start. And I don't, listen, I have no formal way of doing it. I don't want it to be overly formal because it's my father. And so I bring, I drag myself in there, how, how whatever I am that day. So sometimes I'm in the mood to start right in. I got a lot to say. And then sometimes I do not know what to say. I don't know how to start. So I just sit in quiet for, hey, that's no, that's no small thing. That's hard to do. Just sit in quiet. Because your mind's going to be telling you, you know, you could have done three, you could have had your teeth brushed already. Then sometimes you have to read something first in order to get your mind sort of geared. And I just recommend a psalm. I don't care if you just go and look down and read something and go, there's something I didn't, there's a line I wouldn't have said to God today. There's a thought about God I wouldn't have thought. Just two verses, not, not the whole psalm, any part of it. Just read enough to where you go, oh, that's interesting. Get your mind working. I, was, I, I happened to uh, read about four psalms one morning this week, past week in a row. Just, just wanted to speed read them. And I read the four psalms when I got to the last one. And I do them in sort of like I'll do the 70s today. It's kind of like you listen to music. You know, you do the classic rock, you do the 70s. Every once in a while, because like, I, I know the psalms better in tens. So if you tell me what tens you're talking about, I can tell you probably what's in those ten. And I know what's in the 70s. I went to the 60s, very depressing. The 60s are depressing in the Psalms. You get to the 70s and you get, a, you, get a, you, get a, you get some judgment in the 70s. But you also get some really startling statements about God. So there's this one that just, and, and there was just a line that says, and, and the writer just said, and I, and I trust you. I read four Psalms, and that was the one. That one line right there said, you know what, God? I'm sitting here before you, and all I want you to know is, I don't know how I was feeling when I walked in here, but I want you to know right now, I'm just telling you right now, I trust you. I needed to, get, I needed to just say it. Nothing fancy. Just something. And all I'm trying to do is affirm that relationship. So I just connect with them. Can, um, so I, any one of those things, sit quiet, start right in with a bunch of stuff you got to say, or read a psalm or something that triggers you and sets you on your way. Well, after I do that, I told you I intercede. I think about the people that I need to pray for, and I intercede for those people right away. Just first thing. And then after that, no idea what's going to happen. But that's when I will usually read something else. I am in, I'm doing a little reading. So I don't read a lot in my quiet times. I don't overread. So it's a paragraph of a text that I want to... I told you I'm reading through John and Luke. I'm still in Luke, taking it really slow. 
Luke has just blown me away. And every once in a while, there'll be, the, there'll be, a, there'll be a thought. Like one of them was for, for Luke and, uh, in Luke 12, Jesus says, um, he's talking about birds and what they cost. And he says, every hair on your head is numbered. I know every hair on your head. Are you not, are you not more valuable to me than birds? You know what I said right there? And you know what I did? I just stopped right there and I go, do I feel that? Do I feel more valuable? And I want to feel, I want to feel that. I want to sense that value to God. So I just spent a little time thinking about that. Whatever the thought is in the text. All trying to build the relationship. So you got to do a little reading. And then, and then I go into my prayers. And I do, you say, what do you pray about for yourself? Everything. There's nothing. I don't care how selfish it sounds. If you're my father, my kids have asked me for some selfish stuff. <laughs> my kids are selfish. Are your kids selfish? You better believe they're selfish. When you come to your dad, when you come to your dad, it's all on the table, baby. You will eventually learn, like your kids do, what they really ought to ask you for and what they ought not ask you for. Don't worry about that right now. If, if I'm having a bad day, if there's a physical problem, if I, my car's broke down, this happened, I don't have the money for that, this is coming up, I don't know what to do about it. The ones that's pressing me the most, I spit them out, I tell them. I want them to know they concern me, and if he can do something about them, great. And then I spend a little time just listening, because in the process of all that, God will be poking at you. And sometimes I've asked for something, and I said, God, you don't really have to do that one. That's pretty selfish. And um, it's, a, it's a conversation with my dad. I tell him what I need. I tell him what I desire. I tell him what I'm afraid of. I talk to him. I pray. Just connecting with it. That's all I'm doing. There's nothing fancy about it. But I want to hear something too. Sometimes he affirms the truth to me. Like when I read that about the birds, I had to have that reaffirmed to me. That the hairs on my head are numbered. It felt good to think that. So I sat there with it. So that's what I do when I go in there. There's lots of ways to do it. I'm just trying to throw a few things out there so you can hear it. Then the second thing is about, you know, you're going to wonder about, well, how do you know if God's there with you? How do you feel him? You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, how do electrons spin two different ways? I don't know. You know what? When I think about this image of a father and the one who's in heaven, the one who is in heaven is very often feels absent. Sometimes I'm sitting there with him in this prayer room and I feel like he's off doing something. 
I think he missed our appointment today. <laughs> and then there are times in there where I feel like he's sitting right next to me and there's not a thing I couldn't ask for, I'm getting it. That's how I feel. And then, of course, there's everything in between. It's different all the time. You got to stay in there long enough to experience all those things in terms of time over your lifetime. Do it for the next 10 years. In 10 years, you'll be able to answer the question how God speaks to you in that space. But I mean, if you showed up for the first week and you're like, well, I'm not hearing any, I'm not seeing any lights. <laughs> There's no bands playing. That's like any relationship in your life. You got to give that baby time so you know how to, you can almost look at each other. You get around J Jill and Gail. And I mean, there's some telepathy going on over there. Some weird things. The closer you are with someone, the more naturally you have to say a word. It's on your face. That's what happens when you're in there. Listen, here's, the, here's a great word for you right here. You'll sense him in tons of different ways. If, if you're actively pursuing, talking to him about things and, and reading his word too, that's how he communicates. That's his favorite way to communicate. It's the best way to communicate with us about us doing things together. And remember, prayer is talking about what God and I are doing together. So uh, your thoughts, your feelings, all this kind of stuff. Remember when Samuel was woken up three times and he kept hearing his voice. Somebody say, hey, hey, Sam, hey Sammy. He gets up. He got up and went to Eli all three times. Whatever God's voice sounded like, sounded pretty normal. Right? Well, that sounds like a familiar voice. Because that's how God speaks. It's going to be familiar. It's a still small voice. It's not a special voice. It'll sound very normal. So, get there. Approach him like your concerns matter. And if he wants to address him, he can. It's not going to interfere with anything he's doing in the world. I will tell you this. I have gone through a season in the last six months of my life where I have prayed more than I ever have. Truly. More than I ever have. And I have seen God do amazing things in six months. And it's enough. So two things I will share with you. You got to get there. You got to approach him like he can do something. And then you got you to gotta open up. You got to get in there. You got to work a little bit. Don't just sit there. Read a little bit of scripture, maybe. Talk to God about what's on your mind. Verbalize it. Get it out. Spend time enough doing it over time, and you'll learn a way with God. You'll learn a way with him is all I, can, is all I know to tell you. And you'll learn that way enough that will make you want to get there, even if it's not necessarily a great meeting. You'll have good ones. And sometimes that's because of you, not because of him. And here's the other thing I'll tell you. 
I know you're busy and you got to get there. And here's the other thing I'll tell you. You're going to give yourself time to learn how to do this. Read a couple books on the subject of prayer or get with a prayer warrior who will tell you how to do it. Those are two ways you could do it fast. Read the Psalms is, another, is a great way to do it because that's why it's in there, to teach you how to talk to God. So if you're just beginning with prayer, that's what I would do. Um, but here's the other thing. You cannot be in a hurry if you're in there. I know you'll want to be. You'll want to get on with the stuff. Can't be. That, that's just inherent in the meeting. You just can't be. You've got to give yourself a little time to connect with God. You just can't march in there real quick and march out. So whatever that means for you. All right, now we haven't even really started saying much about, you know, the next, the next few, the next verse is a mouthful. So stay home if you're not really showing up, all right? If you're not showing up, no. All right, well, let's stand to our feet. While you're doing that, uh, you'll get a card today. I think you're, are they getting cards today, Nick? So you're getting these cards about missions because the last two Sundays of March, we're going to be uh, having our little uh, uh, two weeks of missions where we have all our missionaries come in. And so Kirk will be here on the 20th. Uh, he and Violetta right now are in Romania and uh, helping with refugees coming over there and getting them settled. They have invited me out there. So Tuesday, I am flying to Romania. I'll be there for 10 days helping Kirk uh, set up. And uh, so I won't be here next Sunday. And when I get back, both he and I will fly in together to Dallas uh, to be here for Mission Sunday, which is the following one. So be praying about that. Be praying about the two weeks, these next two weeks. Those last two weeks of March are really important in the life of this church. And if you've never been exposed to our missions, if you haven't met the people we serve that you give to, you're going to want to be here for that because it's, it's the heartbeat of Hillside. So, uh, Father, we're grateful for our time together. Open our hearts. Draw us to yourself, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.